Welcome back to another episode of Tequila She Wrote. A podcast about crime and cocktails. I'm your bartender for today, Trish. And I'm your crime tender for today, Sloan. And today we're going to be doing a drink of a apple martini. It's like a green apple martini. It's a classic. It's really good. You need this in your arsenal. <laughs> it is a good springtime, summertime drink. Really, it it's an anytime drink, but spring and summer is when I definitely tend to go Prefer for it. it. And then the case for today is the Todd family. Todd family, yes. I was like, it, it's a it's a strange name. T O D T Todd. Yes, but this is a family you may have heard of. It was very popular, kind of like during lockdown and stuff like that. Right as we were going into lockdown, lockdown, like it happened at the end of 2019, going into 2020. Yeah. But it's a um, very interesting yes. <laughs> case. Grab so, a cocktail. Definitely want a cocktail for this one. It's it's gonna be a wild ride. Um, <laughs> and buckle up for the hot mess express. Yep. Toot toot. Beep beep. <laughs> Welcome back to another cocktail with your bartender Trish. Today I'm doing a it's an apple martini, but it's like a sour green apple martini. Either way, it's a, it's a very simple recipe. There are also a lot of variations to this one, yes. but this is this is a very simple three step process. You just need what we're using is the green apple Smirnoff vodka. I used 1.5 ounces of that. You could you can do a little less if depending on how much of an alcohol taste you want. And then I did 0.5 ounces of a like sour apple pucker. We just kind of use Tekifer. That's the easiest one to find usually. And then it is two ounces of like a sour or a citrus mix. We're margarita drinkers, so it's usually like the margarita mix. <laughs> but you just need some sort of a citrus. They're really all very similar. Yes. But you just you do all that. You put it over ice. You give it a good shake. And then you strain it into a martini glass. If you're one that, you know, you don't want to do a martini just because you drink them too fast, you can just pour it over ice. It's whatever. Shake it. Either strain it or just pour it out into your glass and just enjoy. And it's a great spring, summer cocktail. Very, like I said, it's very simple. As long as you're, wherever you're going to drink has the ingredients, it's a very easy one for them to follow. And yeah, just enjoy. You want to see this uh, like in recipe form or like a video, you can check us out on Instagram, TikTok, Twitter, Facebook, all that fun stuff. We do post a little behind, but we're catching up. <laughs> but just check us out. It's all tequila she wrote. If you have any cocktail recipes or anything like that, you can email us at tequila she wrote at gmail.com. And yeah, enjoy the episode. 
Welcome back to another case with your crime tender Sloan. Today I am bringing you the story of the Todd family. This one, who, um, I feel like trigger warnings kind of, I don't get into a lot of details, but if you have problems with kids being harmed, this is probably not the episode for you. Like I said, I do not go into a lot of detail about it, but that is the big one here. I feel like we've been very careful about what we've covered so far, but eventually we are going to have to get into these more um, not so uh, fun cases. Yeah, true. I feel like my most fun case to date was my prohibition <laughs> for yes. New Year's. Like that one was just for shits and giggles, but everything else has been pretty heavy hearted. But this one today is about the Tot family. Um, Anthony Tot, he met his high school sweetheart in high school, of course. Her name is Megan. They also went to the same college together. Anthony was known as kind of the comedian of the family. Megan was very much the homemaker. She did work as well. They were both physical therapists, but she was the she always cooked from scratch is what fr like friends and family remember sort of situation. Um they had three kids together. They had Alec, who at the time of the story is 13. He was very smart, determined. Tyler, he was 11. He was very inquisitive. He was a great actor, piano player, and just a really good friend. Both of the boys were very much described as like bookworms and inquisitive and yes. just excited about life and in general. And they also had Zoe, who was four years old. She was energetic and, quote, really, really cute, unquote. No. To which I say, I'm sure. <laughs> I was going to say, I'm sure she was. <laughs> Is a toddler really... Uh, kids, not for me. <laughs> but also, maybe she was. Because some people also described her as very quiet, but curious. And the family also had a family dog named Breezy. Oh. Yes. So, Anthony slash Tony is his nickname... Like I said, Anthony and Tony, Anthony, Tony, and Megan, they were high school sweethearts. One of their college friends remembered Megan saying Megan was so kind-hearted. She never had anything bad to say about anyone. She was always smiling, encouraging, wise beyond her years. She was the type of person who had it all, but yet she was still very humble. And in college, Tony was the RA, the residential advisor of some townhouses and he was always there to help. He would there to help to offer advice to all of the residents with roommate conflicts or just life conflicts, just all in all, he was a good like people person type of person. Okay. He started practicing physical therapy in Connecticut in 1999 after getting his master's in physical therapy from Sacred Heart University where him and Megan at attended together and Megan and Anthony even opened up their own physical therapy practice called Fam Family Physical Therapy. And they eventually even had two separate locations. One was in 
Oh, where's the town name? Damn. Damn. But, okay, so they opened up two different locations for the family physical therapy. On their Facebook page, it says, quote, At Family Physical Therapy in Connecticut, we use patient-centered approaches to focus on the whole individual together as a family. Our experienced clinicians will help you set and reach your goals, from improving daily tasks to training athletes. No matter the cause, we will create a plan that will ensure your success each time you walk through the door. Okay. And then Anthony's personal biography on the website says Anthony J. Todd, with all of his fancy initials, with all of his programs and yeah. masters and all that stuff, received his master's degree in physical therapy in 1999 from Sacred Heart University, which included rotations and internships in home care, outpatient physical therapy, wound management, acute post-surgical therapy, and inpatient rehabilitation. Anthony is licensed in California, Florida, and Connecticut, and has had the fortune to further his physical therapy experience through experiences throughout the country and his involvement in rehabilitating professional athletes, progressive surgical procedures, and continues to improve his knowledge through continuing education in the same. After receiving his master's degree, Anthony became a national certified sports conditioning specialist and Nesta Speed Agility and Quickness Coach. So clearly he's like all about, he's all about the accreditations. Like he's all about having these initials by his name, proving he's the best of the best and whatnot. He also on his LinkedIn listed that he was affiliated with an LLC called Performance Edge Sports. But he, they had owned, not but... They owned this practice together for about 11 years before shit hit the fan, essentially. So, in 2019, both Megan and Anthony's licenses were expected to expire just due to non-renewal. Anthony ended up closing the practice, their home, like their practice that they built up or whatever. Uh He ended up closing it in November 2019. And we'll kind of circle back to that in a bit. First, I wanted to touch on Anthony's childhood. So on March 19th, 1980, Loretta Todd, who was Anthony's mother, was home when someone entered the house and shot her. Loretta survived the the attack, but the bullet fired, destroying her left eye and remained lodged in her skull. Oh, Jesus. Mm -hmm. Anthony was four years old at the time, and he woke up to to his mother screaming. The little tot was able to tell police after the fact that he woke up, and whenever he walked outside of his room, a black man with a T carved in his forehead picked him up and put him back in bed. He also saw in that moment another another man wrestling with mommy on the bed. Quote, unquote. <laughs> so, John Chermont was charged and convicted with this crime. He was 20 years old at the time when he pled guilty to shooting Loretta in the eye as a part of a plot orchestrated by her husband, Robert Tott. John testified that Robert offered him $800 to kill a woman that Robert described to him as the babysitter. <laughs> he then gave John a 32 caliber pistol and some bullets. Three days before the shooting, 
Robert went to John's home, woke him up, and brought him back to the Tot family house. Robert and John then drove to Frankfurt Hospital where Loretta worked. And as explained by John, the plan was for him to surprise Loretta as she entered her care after work, take her back to, to a back road, and shoot her. John was, however, too frightened to carry out this scheme. So a new scheme was hatched, and Robert gave John a key to the Tot family house this time. And on March 19, 1980, John entered the house through the garage and shot Loretta with a rifle and rifled through several drawers to make it look as though a burglary had taken place. John Tremont was a former student of Robert's. Robert was a board-certified special education teacher and a wrestling coach at a high school in Bensalem Township School District. So at this point, Robert was charged and arrested on July 25th, 1980, six days after the, after the shooting, and charged with the shooting of his wife, even though he insisted he was innocent. He even filed a $30 million lawsuit against authorities claiming to have been at night school when the shooting occurred. John Chermont cut a deal agreeing to testify against Robert so that he received a four-year sentence, whereas Robert was convicted and sentenced to a, 20 to a 10 to 20 year sentence on attempted murder, criminal solicitation, and conspiracy charges. So... In the court records, whenever they were going through this whole ordeal, Robert admitted to having an affair with one of his former students, but he denied having anything to do with this murder plot with John. However, the student that he was having the affair with testified on the stand saying that she thought that they were engaged, engaged to be married, even though she knew he was married to Loretta. So a few months later... I feel like this is important to bring up. It's not important to the Tot family thing, but it is important to the Robert family thing. But in 1981, the Philadelphia Inquirer, whenever they received all of the court transactions and all of the information from the officials, they did notice that John actually changed his story three different times. So the first time he told authorities that Robert Todd was with him and Robert was the one that went upstairs and John heard a pop from downstairs. The second time they asked him about it, he said he just went to the Robert to Robert's house to fill out job applications. And that was the only time he had ever been over there. And then the third time that they asked him about it is the story that we actually heard where he said that he was the one that went in and shot Loretta and all that stuff. So that was the story that authorities stuck with because it made the most sense. It framed Robert and they were able to get him. So whether or not Robert was the one to blame for all of this, I don't know. I don't know. However, even after the courts told them that Robert was to blame, Loretta and her two children continued to live with Robert until 1981 when Loretta finally filed for divorce. She went on to remarry in 1984, becoming Loretta Schmidt, which makes me think of New Girl. Schmidt. Mm -hmm. 
And then another little side note from this whole side note story is that John Chermont was back in court in 2014 accused of setting an arson fire to commit insurance fraud. So to me, like, it's very likely that John could have done this on his own whim, but it's also very likely that Robert did hire him in this greater scheme. We don't really know to this day. Back to our main story of today, the Tot family. So in 2017, the Tot family moved from Colchester, Connecticut to Celebration, Florida. And if you don't know about Celebration, Florida, Trish, can we move there? I mean, you don't know about it yet, but let me tell you. So Celebration, Florida is on the outskirts of Disney World, and it was actually designed and built by the Walt Disney Company. Yeah. They literally, on their website, they claim to be a cross between the set of the original Stepford Wives movie and the Truman Show. So this is like the idealistic community, right? And that's where the Todd family moved to. Later on in a letter to his father, Anthony explained that they decided to make this move to help Megan with her multiple illnesses. What illnesses? <laughs> We still don't fucking know because Anthony's the only one that's telling us of these illnesses. But meanwhile, while Megan and the kids lived in Florida full time, Anthony was commuting back to Connecticut every Monday to Friday to upkeep their physical therapy practice in the meantime. Despite how happy their social medias reflected their lives, Anthony had a dark shadow hanging over him and his family. It's unclear if Megan was aware or not. I don't know, but Anthony's physical therapist license was under question. He was under investigation by the Connecticut attorney general and also eviction notices were lingering on them in Florida. So according to the Connecticut attorney general, Anthony was under investigation in an open quote, false claims acts investigation and from what I could tell, what was happening is that he would place claims with insurance companies under his patients for things that he was not actually doing. So he would submit a complaint, a, a complaint, he would submit a claim to an insurance company and be like, hey, I did X, Y, and Z for this patient. And in reality, he never saw that patient that day, but then he was collecting money from the insurance company. So that had been going on for a long time. And finally, the attorney general had caught wind of it. And that began this investigation, which is why I feel like he was not trying to renew his license. He knew he was under investigation he knew his license was up for renewal and you can't really get your license renewed if you're being actively investigated by an attorney general and the FBI. Yeah. So November 22nd, 2019 family members saw Anthony in Connecticut for Thanksgiving. And the day before he had met with the federal agents investigating his physical therapy business. And he confessed, he confessed to a brazen healthcare fraud scheme. He, like I said, he was submitting claims to Medicaid and private insurances for care that he had never provided. So 
Thanksgiving was the last time that any family or friends saw the Tot family in person. A month later, December 29th, Anthony's sister, Christy, Chrissy Caplet called the, I'm going to butcher this, Florida has the worst names ever, worst. She called the Osceola, Osceola County Sheriff's Office for a wellness check because she had not heard from Anthony, Megan, or the kids since the 23rd or 24th of December. So it had been a week since she had gotten a text or a phone call or FaceTime. And like, to me, that's not a big deal. I don't really keep up with my family like that. But this is also Christmas time. Like she expected to hear from them on Christmas and she didn't hear from them. And there's more too, but we'll get to that in a second. So she told authorities that the family had been really sick for the past week and a half. And she was very concerned for them. So she gave them the address to the rental house that they were staying at. Deputies conducted, conducted a welfare check, but they did not find anything suspicious, nor did anybody like answer the door or they could see any proof of living life on the inside. So they just left. Around this time, family and friends took to Facebook to try and find the Todd family too. Alicia Schmidt wrote, Hi, we are looking for our family. We are seeking information on their last communication to others. Please please let us know the last time you've heard from them, Tony, Megan, or the kids. At this time, we are seeking information. Please do not message the family asking for details as it is time-sensitive matter and we haven't heard from them or we don't even know them or if you don't even know them. Please help us by sharing this page. And then Chrissy, the sister that's been calling the cops repeatedly, wrote, This is a very personal post, but we are asking for your help. Please let me know the last time you have spoken to, texted, or messaged my brother, Tony, Meg, or the kids. In due time, we can explain, but right now we are looking for them and we are very worried. To which the only, like, response they received that was kind of helpful is a neighbor responded on a Facebook post saying, hello, I recognize them from living right around the corner. I'd say the last time I saw them was around Thanksgiving time and they were all walking the dog as a family. I thought they just went away for the holidays because all of their blinds are closed and they still have their decorative pumpkins out in the yard. So at this point, everybody is concerned and kind of looking for them and while authorities are kind of looking for them too they they have a lot of other things going on I'm sure but they're not being as attentive as Chrissy and her like her family wants them to be so that was December 29th ish so the end of the year and then January 6th 2020 and I know that might give some of you flashbacks, yeah. January 6th, but that was January 6th, 2021. We're talking about 2020, <laughs> but it's still a fucking bad day. So January 6th, 2020, family and friends received texts from Anthony and Megan's phones. One family member received a text saying the phone was found at a Starbucks in Sarasota, Florida, and they were giving it to police. So if you're not familiar with geography... And I'm not, I'm not great with geography either, but off the top of my head, if you're looking at Florida and it's like that little cape, right? Like you got like the little thing in the palm of your hands. So Orlando is in the middle, smack dab in the middle 
and Sarasota is on the West Coast. So it's like two hours away from Orlando. An hour and a half, two hours, something like that. And then a neighbor texted Megan's phone to let her know that there was an eviction notice on the family's front door at the condo that they owned. So they owned a condo in Celebration, Florida, but they were also renting a home in, in Celebration, Florida as well. So there, the text message was about the eviction notice on the condo in Celebration, Florida. This neighbor said she received a response from Megan saying, okay, thanks, on January 6th. Grammar, the grammar on my thing, it corrected me to an FBI agent. Why is that? If anybody can answer that, I would be extremely thankful. Anyway, so an FBI agent called the OSEO, the OSEO, uh, y'all know I can't pronounce this word. But they called the sheriff's office to help locate Anthony Todd. Soon after, Chrissy Caplett, the sister, called back for another wellness check after she heard that the FBI was searching for Anthony with an arrest warrant at hand. And she heard that from Connecticut. So she called Florida being like, hey, I know my brother's in trouble. Can y'all please check on him? Once again, we haven't heard from him in a while and I know he's in trouble. I'm really worried. So... Chrissy then told them that the last time she spoke to her sister-in-law, Megan, on the phone was December 26th, when Megan told her, quote, the world is ending on December 28th, end quote. And the last time she spoke with her brother was on January 6th. On January 10th, at about 5 p.m., two deputies went to the Tot family rental house, as well as the condo they owned close by. At the rental house, they knocked on every door with no answer. They noted that the windows were all locked, the blinds were all closed, and the mail in the mailbox was dated January 6th, and the eviction notice left on the door was dated December 31st. At the condo, the first thing they saw was the eviction notice on the door, and no one answered. The deputies searched the property and found the family's van, a maroon Honda Odyssey, parked behind Building 11. Which, like, doesn't sound that odd, but the family's condo was in Building 9. So, like, were they trying to hide it? Sounds like it. Back at the station, the police call Chrissy and update her on the latest wellness checks, where she expressed her concern again, especially because all the phones are now going straight to voicemail. The next day, on January 11th, the deputies go back to both homes, but nothing has changed. The van's still in the same spot. Everything is still locked up and no one's home from what they can tell. So they go back the next day because January, on January 12th, the owner of the rental home called the sheriff's department and asked for a wellness check too. He told them that he tried to serve a notice of eviction to the family because they had not paid him in quite some time. And when he checked on social media to get in touch with them, he saw that their friends and family were voicing concern over their whereabouts and safety. Then on January 13th, the Osceola County Sheriff's Office dispatcher received a call from a special agent for the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services requesting for two deputies to back up federal agents in the arrest of Anthony Tott for health care fraud. The agent said the FBI agents had eyes on Anthony Tott at the moment as he was entering the rental house that they kept checking but could not find him at. <laughs> 
They weren't sure if Megan and the kids were inside, though. The van, which was the only vehicle registered to the family, was still at the condo buildings, but Anthony had been seen driving a white SUV in the weeks leading up to this incident. Incident. Instance. Incident. Which wasn't anywhere to be seen either, but the garage at the rental house was closed. So, deputies and federal agents surrounded the house. They knocked several times, announced their intent to arrest Anthony, and received no response. What a shock. When they tried the front door, they realized it was unlocked. (laughs) So, they just walked right in, where they were greeted by a very foul odor. One deputy wrote in the report, I could smell a strong foul odor, which I suspected to be decomposition of something or someone. The odor became stronger the further I walked into the home. Once in the home, they faintly heard a male's voice coming from upstairs before they saw Anthony holding onto the railing and stumbling down the stairs, or at least attempting to stumble down the stairs. When officials asked about his family, Anthony said his kids were at a friend's house for a sleepover and Megan was upstairs sleeping. He then yelled out for Megan, to which no one responded. Once again, what a shocker. They went upstairs to the master bedroom, and they saw a body wrapped in blankets on the bed. Sticking out of the blankets was a black and blue foot, assumedly Megan, because of her size, because of the size. When deputies opened the door further, they saw two bodies on a mattress on the floor covered with blankets, assumedly the oldest two, Alec and Tyler. It was obvious they had been dead for a while. It was also obvious that Zoe, the youngest child, was missing. They ended up finding her wrapped in blankets at the foot of the bed. The one small silver lining here is that according to the medical examiner later on, is that it appeared that Zoe was the only one to not receive slash die of any traumatic experience. Anthony Todd was arrested on federal health care fraud charges and indicted on four counts of first-degree murder, and authorities believed he was sleeping in the same room as, as his family for up to three weeks before they were discovered. I just literally can't fucking imagine. <sighs> the orange, Osceolo... Osceola County Medical Examiner's Office found the official cause of death as homicidal violence of unspecified means and also mentioned, I'm going to butcher this because it's a science name, diphenhydramine toxicity, which is just a really fancy way of saying Benadryl. That's a big word for Elmo. (laughs) But anyways... Each victim, aside from Zoe, also had multiple stab wounds. Yeah. Anthony confessed to the murders initially, but he ended up recanting, saying that he wasn't even home when his family was massacred. Meanwhile, friends and family in Connecticut find out about all of this through Facebook and the news. Chrissy called in to the authorities and was like, quote, I get that the detectives are busy, but it's just a sucky way to find out on Facebook, end quote. (laughs) And I totally agree, especially considering Chrissy had been calling and asking for help for weeks at this point. They definitely had her number to call her back. They definitely knew something was going on. Someone at the station could have made a quick call, in my opinion. It's not the authorities' fault that the media was there before they were, by any means, 
But I do think that we need a better system of contacting family, especially in situations like this where the family has been calling and asking and begging for help. Yeah. I could go on a whole rant about these changes we need in our media. <laughs> like, just in, not, that was a rant. That was a small rant about the cops. But, like, I could go on a whole hour long rant about <laughs> what we could change in the media. We don't have time for that today. So, in March slash April, during a few of Anthony's phone calls to his sisters, he claimed that it was Megan that killed the kids and then committed suicide. He said that she had made several attempts to do so before the Orlando the Orlando Sentinel, a local newspaper, got their hands on a letter from Anthony to his father dated June 19th, claiming the same thing, that Megan was to blame for the horrible murders. In this 27-page letter... 27 page. He claimed Megan tainted their dessert at dinner before killing the three children and then drinking a family-sized bottle of Benadryl and stabbing herself in the stomach. Okay. Then Anthony ran to the bathroom and puked because he was so weak. But you never called 911. He said in this letter, quote, I love my wife still very deeply and it will be the hardest thing to sit there and tell everyone that it was her that did this when I was not home. And then she committed suicide in front of me. I have forgiven her as I know she was chronically sick. He went on to claim that Megan suffered from several illnesses, including depression, but he asked his father to keep these in quote unquote confidence. Okay. This guy, honestly, he seriously gives me Donald Trump vibes. <laughs> Like, okay, this next part just kind of explains it. So, in this, in the letter, he also said, quote, I'm one million percent innocent of all these preposterous charges. I want to correct all these inaccuracies from the creative writing machine. Then he also claimed the sheriff's office wanted to score a big win by arresting him. He said, the media and the sheriff's department here are making me out to be the next big... Butcher of Baghdad, he wrote. I would have called a press conference months ago, but I was told by my attorneys, who happen to be some of the best in the state, that that was not an appropriate way to handle the case. So I just sit idle and make a list of lawsuits for when I get out. Okay. Who does that sound like to you? <laughs> Say it. No. Donald Trump. Fake I said news. it. I said it. Also in the letter, Anthony wrote that on the day of the murder, that it was a quote-unquote phenomenal day because Megan woke up with no pain for the first time in months. He said that the family spent the day together before eating dinner. Then he left to go to the condo nearby for maintenance tasks. Questionable because you're under eviction there too, you dumbass. Yeah. And also to get a Mickey Mouse necklace that Zoe had been begging for. He got to the condo and realized he left his tools back at the rental house. So he went back. He ended up playing basketball with his sons for a little bit. And then he sent them back inside. And that was when the boys said, Mom made a special dessert for us. Are you not going to come inside and have dessert with us, Dad? And he was like, No, I'm trying to lose weight. Yeah. Yeah, okay. Yeah, okay. So then Anthony went back to the condo, but instead of going inside to perform the maintenance repairs, he took a quote-unquote small siesta in his car. 
When he woke up with the morning light shining in his face, he said he woke up in such a panic, fearful of the scolding that awaited him at home, so he rushed back because he had his daily therapy appointment with Megan. Okay. When he arrived home, the first thing he saw was the remnants of the Benadryl pudding pie. To which he said it looked amazing, but it smelled awful, so he skipped right past it. Ugh. Great decision for breakfast, my dude. Then he went upstairs, and that's where he found Megan, alive, where she confessed to killing all three of their kids. Anthony went to each of their rooms separately, where he found them deceased with no apparent sign of struggle. Again, question mark slash red flag for me, because Zoe was the only one to not have evident struggles. Yeah. So for you to say that there was no... You're you're just blaming... You're, put, you're pointing the finger at yourself! Ugh! Anyways. So after he went around and he checked all of the rooms, saw the kids, Megan then asked him if he was okay, to which he replied, No, you murdered our children. No, dude. You murdered the fucking children. So, that's the point that Anthony said that Megan chugged the whole Benadryl bottle before stabbing herself in the stomach, saying, quote, I have to be with my babies, end quote. Anthony claims that he then tried to do CPR until he could not physically move anymore. Sure. Another red flag here. You never called 911. And you stayed in the house with the dead bodies for up to three weeks. So I don't buy any of this. Yeah. He then claimed that he moved the children's body into their master bedroom, putting them in comfortable sleeping positions and covering them for warmth and protection, and then placed rosaries in each of their hands. Uh -uh. He then goes on to tell authorities that he attempted suicide at least eight different times, but that was yet another thing that he sucked at. So instead, you slept in the room with your dead fucking family for almost a month because you were too coward to do anything else. Yeah. I just, this case really had me. And I wish that I had an answer for you, but like... If you notice the timeline of all of this, it's all happening at COVID. So this is one of those other cases where we have our Google alerts set. As of right now, his trial is set for next month, April 2022. So we have our Google alerts set. I'm watching out for this. I remember this news story like hitting fresh off the paper, like still looking for this family because they were missing up until the point to like them finding the bodies. I also kind of skirted right around it, but Anthony is also facing an animal abuse case with this because it's believed that he also killed the dog, Breezy, the family dog. Not the puppy. Not the puppy, I know. Um, but to this day, authorities have never found Breezy's body no. or nobody's, you know, come up and said, hey... You know, I took this dog in from this family or anything like that. So, as far as authorities know, he not only murdered his human family, but he also murdered the dog. And so, they did charge him for that, and to which I'm grateful, because I feel like most of the time, like, the, yeah. the animals get overlooked. 
but yeah, that is, that is my case for today. I hope that we have some decent-ish news coming up in the next month or two about it. And I had, whew, I, I had quite a few margaritas personally to get me through this case. So if you needed <laughs> a couple too, I completely understand. And with that, I am going to kick you off to the last call with Trish. Welcome back to another last call with your bartender, Trish. And today we're just going to do some uh, kind of random facts. Didn't really know what to do for this one, so I just kind of looked up random little fun facts, and I found these. So, the, Su the Supreme Court has its own private basketball court with an amazing nickname. There's a basketball court on the top floor of the U.S. Supreme Court building, and its nickname is the highest court in the land. <laughs> of course it is. Yep. I, I applaud our um, politics and that for uh, coming up with that name, because usually they come up with some very stupid things, yeah. but that, one, that one's a good one. That's a good dad joke. Yeah. <laughs> we appreciate that dad joke. The second little fun fact I have is Walmart actually has a lower acceptance rate than Harvard. What? Harvard might be hard to get into with a 4.5% admittance rate, but try this on for size. Only 2.6% of Walmart applications are accepted. I feel like, I mean, this article is from... Like, 2020, so I feel like now it's probably a little different just because of all the job yeah. openings and stuff, but... It's not too far off askew. Yeah. <laughs> this, this next one, as a sports fan, made me chuckle so much. So much. A football fan once decided his... It says Obit? I don't, I don't know if that's the way you're supposed to say it, but it's... Basically, he in, he insulted an NFL team one last time with his death. So, a lifetime Cleveland Browns fan and season ticket holder requested for his, like, basically his obituary and stuff like that to have <laughs> six Cleveland Browns pallbearers at his funeral, and the reason for this was so that the Browns couldn't let him down one last time. And as a Pittsburgh Steelers fan, I love that <laughs> so much. Uh, another little fun fact. Hunting unicorns is legal in Michigan. You know, for all those wild unicorns running around. <laughs> Lake Superior State University in Michigan offers a unicorn hunting license. Unsurprisingly, the chief herald of the unicorn hunters was once quoted saying, the pursuit of the unicorn is a lonely quest. <laughs> I'll take on that quest. <laughs> Thank you. Um, I know, especially us um, 90s kids and that. Remember the commercial, how many licks does it take to get to a center of a Tootsie Roll Pop? Too many. Yes. Well, officially, there is a count 
for this. It officially takes 364 licks to get to the center of a Tootsie Pop. They say this is according to engineering students scientific endeavor at Purdue University who used a proprietary licking machine rather than human tongue. So I feel like that could be different depending on like I guess like acidity and stuff like that maybe. But apparently 364 licks. So you know one one lick shy of a year. Here's one that really got me. Did you know the Cookie Monster actually has a real name? No, I did not. <laughs> the Cookie Monster's name is Sid. <laughs> I, nope, didn't. Never, never would have put it. that together. Never heard that. So, we all know about Shark Week and that and how people like to focus on the fact that, you know, sharks kill people and that. But... Vending machines are a bigger threat to humanity than sharks. I believe it. You you are twice as likely to be killed by a vending machine than a shark, according to the New England Aquarium. So when it's Discovery Channel, it goes. So when is Discovery Channel premiering the vending machine week? Which I believe it because those things are heavy. Yeah. But I just, I thought that was funny. Apparently the Queen of England is a wedding crasher. She will not only just, you know, attend royal weddings, but she just might happen to show up at just some normal weddings. (laughs) And she apparently did so one time in 2012 to a couple in Manchester. She just decided to show up at a wedding. Like, could you imagine? (laughs) Could you imagine being at a wedding or it being your wedding and the Queen of England just suddenly shows up? I'd be like, who are you? The Queen of England? (laughs) I think the last one I'm going to end with because I found it kind of funny. There's actually an American town with a population of one. And it is called Monoi. M-O-N-O-W-I. So Monoi is what I'm going to say. Nebraska. It is the only town in the United States with an official population of one person. And yes, she still owes taxes. But to herself, yeah, she is. I wish, <laughs> right? She is in her eighties. She is employed as the village's mayor, librarian, and bartender. <laughs> All right then, where do I need to go to sign up for that? Right? I mean, she's eighty. Clearly, someone's gonna have to take over that somewhat soon. Yep, I volunteer. So we gotta move to Nebraska. Mm. <laughs> My brother's out there. He's got a brewery. Be good. <laughs> I don't know how close it is to Manoe, but it would be worth looking into. Mm-hmm. Soon to be a population of two. <laughs> right. <laughs> Tequila, she wrote. Well, I guess Nathaniel's got to come along. Oh, yeah. I and Logan said that I can't leave. Population of four. four. 
and then two dogs and two cats. They don't count for... <laughs> they don't count for the IRS. <laughs> unfortunately. Uh, they depend on me, but they're not dependents according right. to my taxes. But those are some of the interesting facts. There's a few more, but I think I'll leave them for different, different yeah. times. But I wanted to end on the a population of one because I thought that was my quite ideal, funny. <laughs> my ideal town. The only thing is, where would we go for Mexican? We'd have to go somewhere else. True. That'd be the only bad thing. True. I can cook Mexican and I can make margaritas. Yeah, but it's it's different. We when, can figure it out. It's different when someone else makes it for you. <laughs> but until <laughs> we figure it out. This has been Tequila She Wrote Today. Thanks for hanging out with us. <laughs> if you're liking what you hear, give us a <laughs> review. You know, like, subscribe, all that fun stuff. Um, we have our socials, Tequila She Wrote, across the board. Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, TikTok, all that good shit. We also have our Patreon. It's Tequila She Wrote. For as little as $2 a month, you get ad-free episodes. You also get a little bonus episode. And then if you pay a little more, you get even more bonus stuff. So Each tier has their own bonus episodes and merchandise and all that good stuff. If you have any recommendations, case-wise, cocktail-wise, whatever. If you have any like tips for us, uh, tequilasherode at gmail.com. Hit us up there on our socials. We love to interact with you. And we'll see you next time. Thanks for riding on the Hot Mess Express. Toot toot. Beep beep.